Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast, episode 40, Emulation is the Greatest Form of... Uh, after a couple months off, I needed to take some time after moving, finally unpack boxes, get stuff put in place, work was a little crazy, uh, especially over the holidays. I was like one of the few people that was around, so obviously people were wanting to work when there's not much to do. So... I also played a lot of games, but I started playing with emulators. And I'll tell you what an emulator is in a second, but think about an emulator as something where you can go back in time and play a game just exactly like, or very similarly like, maybe not having to wait till everybody was off the computer at 10 p.m. and not having to load a five and a quarter disc and not having to figure out how to turn off the sound so you wouldn't wake your parents up. But you can learn how to play those games just like you used to. Um, if you haven't played on emulators, you are probably missing out. And if you are not familiar with what an emulator is, why don't we just start at the beginning? Of course, always, always, always donate to Wikipedia. I get a lot of information from Wikipedia and then I go from there. But the cl clinical answer is in computing, an emulator is hardware or software that enables one computer system called the host to behave like another computer system called the guest. An emulator typically enables the host system to run software or use peripheral devices designed for the guest system. Okay, so you have hardware emulators. So um, a long time ago, I was really bored as unemployed, and I decided I wanted to see if I could run the Apple operating system, the like, not iOS, but like I think it was Jaguar or Wintergreen or something. I can't remember. There's so many great names. So um, on a PC. And so I spent a lot of time working on it. It took me about a week or two, but I got it to run. Didn't really run well. But, you know, this is thinking of it from a hardware emulator is where we're running, maybe using a PC, and we want it to be like an Apple IIe or a Game Boy um, or an iPhone that's like a Game Boy, so an emulator. So, uh, you know, looking at emulators to that, uh, you know, I would tell you right now, there are lots of good uses, but do not try to take your toaster and make it into a blender. That's not a good version of an emulator. Okay, so from a video game or a game con console or a game cabinet or I'm trying to think what else, a PC, older PC to a newer PC, you have a lot of options. Now, a lot of the games that are out there are from the 1980s to the 2000s, um, and we'll get into why there aren't as many emulators or emulators are going away. Um, but the other cool thing is there's a way to translate games into other languages. And I don't mean just computer languages, but also add different information um, in there. So translators, but also you could put in some uh, wording, you could uh, you know develop it. And they call that a homebrew or DIY. So, you know, there is homebrew for computers. Um, if you're familiar with the old, the Apple Go back and look at how Apple started. It was from the Homebrew Computer Club down in the Bay. Not going to go deep into that right now. But looking at what we have from when the internet came out, we have a ton of emulators out there. Now, what's kind of crazy is this is where we're going to get into a little copyright, a little bit of law, because as we walk through this, we're going to talk about things and I'll try to get these all out because there's a whole bunch of them. But like the RPCS3, Dolphin, CEMU, PCSX2, the PPSSPP, I think somebody put that in there just to make me say PP, um, the ZS, NES, Citra, Project 64, Visual Boy Advanced, Nestopia, and Yuzu. Okay, 
so now that you're completely confused over all these names, why would people name an emulator something like that? Well, Visual Boy Advance is kind of easy, right? Because it's like Game Boy Advance. But I think some people like to have secret projects. I can guarantee you, uh, working at Microsoft at one point, they had lots of secret projects out there. But instead of secret projects, let's talk about the type of emulators that you might be able to go out and find. So let's talk about, like, say, video game device console cabinet emulators. We have PC emulators, so PC emulating games, and then mobile device emulators. So I picked out a few categories because this is something we could talk about more. Um, I had, I went deep into this subject, so I probably should have done this podcast about a month ago, but I was having a lot of fun, and I apologize for having too much fun. Never apologize for having too much fun. But let's first dive into a few systems that you might have heard of, and probably the most popular version is something that they took for arcade cabinets, but they ported a lot of games and a lot of software. It is called MAME, M-A-M-E, or an acronym for Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. So this is a free and open source emulator designed to recreate the hardware of arcade game systems and software on modern personal computers and other platforms. Um, it is really meant to preserve it the game history. So you, you're going to hear, I'm not going to put my legal hat on too heavily, but there is a lot of copyright because you don't want to steal someone's game and then sell it, etc. Maybe happening, but you, when you're doing this, make sure that when you're pulling games down that you're also, if there's a donation, maybe make a donation to the, the site that has it. Um, just as a note. But, you know, the emulating of the inner workings of this is really, like I said, meant about preserving those games and should we preserve those games and 100% yes, we should preserve those games. Um, we would not have certain games today without Pong, Pac-Man, Galaga out there, you know, joust, right? I mean, and even in, in uh, literal or liter literature, we'll have references to all of those things. Um, but if you've seen these games and, you know, you can go out See, if you've never seen any of those games, as I said, go out to YouTube. They've got great pictures of what they look like. However, you can pick up a MAME emulator. You could pick it up and build your own arcade cabinet out of it. Uh, there is the ability to do it. And MAME was released in 1997, February 5th of 1997. Now, I know this, and I'm going to reference a good friend of mine, Harry. And Harry, if you listen to this podcast, you will know that you and I learned how to use MAME emulators. And I still have the original MAME disc you gave me. I just don't remember where I put it. It's in a big pile of CDs in my house. Um, but I do have all of the games that they were out there. And at one point, there were between 7,000 and 10,000 ROMs, or read-only memories, or a file that would let you play in the game. Now... They then came up with another emulator called MESS, and I'm not going to dive into MESS. We're going to stay on MAME. But it was integrated into MAME so that you could play video games on consoles. That's what MESS allowed you to do. But I don't really want to talk about uh, cabinets. And <clears throat> I also want to bring up one other, excuse me, uh, you know, kind of MAME emulation similar, but something called XCADE. It was one of the first arcade emulators, and it came out two years before MAME. Um, 
but it was really built so that you would have a you know a Unix system. So how many people here have a Unix system? Okay, there's probably some technical people just raise their hand. But the majority of people, especially gamers over 50, probably have a PC or a laptop or a tablet. Probably more of a laptop, tablet, PC, somewhere in between. Um, but Xcape came out, and what was really crazy is it came out and it worked on the Unix system, but it also worked on DOS, the disk operating system that was previous to Windows. Um, and it also worked, and if this is gonna, if you're if you're over 50, you, I know you're gonna heard of this. It also worked on the Palm handhelds. Remember the Palm Pilots? Everybody had one back in the, the 90s. So um, it was really something that came out and it began, but it really wasn't on a uh, you know, a device like the PC that would work. It worked on Unix and it kind of, uh, you know, kind of hurt it there because not many people want to maintain their own operating system. They want someone like Microsoft to handle it or if you buy your computer from Dell. So what's really kind of cool about MAME is that you can buy cabinets. So I, about two years ago, decided that I wanted one. I've wanted one so long. I wanted to be able to play Galaga. I wanted to play Dig Dug. I wanted to play Pac-Man. I wanted to play all sorts of games. I also wanted to play Joust, and now we're going to step into that. But um, I'd saved money, and I was selling off some collectible stuff that I didn't really need. And I started looking around, and I was looking around with some friends and kept looking around and kept looking around. And probably just putting about an hour to two hours in, maybe for about two weeks looking and found Suncoast Arcade. So that's suncoastarcade.com. Check them out. It's an awesome cabinet. I bought a cabinet. It has 412 games. It's a mini cabinet, so I can kind of set it on. I've got I'm kind of a, a bookcase in my office. It's good fit. But if I ever wanted to, let's say I was having a party or my kids were having a birthday party, I could just go put it up on the kitchen table or you know, on the countertop in the kitchen where, you know, folks could just come up and just play the games. Now, very importantly, I bought a cabinet that was vertical. So it's a up and down is longer than top and bottom. Now, why is this important? Because there probably a majority of the games were created for vertical cabinets back in the uh, 70s and 80s. It's it's still kind of, you know, you can still find lots and lots of games out there that will run on it. This, like I said, 412 games. There are a few that are a little crazy I've never seen before, but there are a lot of games that I played in arcade. Now, there are also, and I know Suncoast sells, horizontal games where you can play games. If you loved Defender and you loved Joust and other kind of horizontal games, you can play that. Now, while I'm kind of writing this, think about it, your, your laptop is very horizontal, right? So if you want to get a MAME emulator, you still could play Defender on your laptop. It's very horizontal. You can still play Pac-Man and Galaga and stuff. It may, the screen may be a little bit smaller, but they do sell cabinets where the screen is so big that you get the vertical and then it will switch to the horizontal. It'll actually project it similar so you've got a big chance there to actually have something pretty cool. So from a main perspective, if you loved pumping quarters into those machines, um, the machine when I bought it was about $750. And I think that included shipping. It did include shipping and it came, it was a dream. It came poof, right, right to the house and everything was fine. It's never had a problem. Uh, you can adjust the sound, you can add coins. 
Um, it's very built for one player at a time only, but you could move the hardware to other ones. Um, if you're interested in building cabinets, there are so many different sites on building your own cabinet. I am just not inclined to build my own cabinet. So that's really thinking of it from the video game cabinets emulators, you can play those. Now, what's cool is if you, most laptops will now project to your big TVs. So if you have a laptop and you want to project Pac-Man and you want to sit in front of your big TV and you want to play Pac-Man on your laptop, it'll project on a great big TV. And you can do that in front of your family and maybe something fun you guys do together. So very kind of cool stuff. Go out and do a little search on MAME if you want your own game system. Um, and you can buy original cabinets. But if you wanted something that's just, you know, for me, we play it probably every other week. Um, it's just something that I've always, always wanted. It's just, you know, especially now during the pandemic, I've gotten pretty good at Galaga. That's all I can say about that. All right. So let's talk about another emulator. And I wanted to break this down into, we talked about the cabinets, right? The packets and stuff. Now let's talk about Nintendo. And let's go into a Nintendo emulator. So the, the emulator I chose after doing a lot of research on emulators was the Visual Boy Advance. It's built for the Game Boy. I had a Game Boy. I loved my Game Boy. I enjoyed playing lots of games on it. And I used to have to travel a lot. So it was really awesome for me. But I'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about what Visual Game Boy, Visual Boy Advanced, or Visual Boy Advance and Visual Boy, Ad, I think there's another one. Oh, shoot. When I did all this, it was like Visual Boy Advance and there's a VBAM. So we'll get into what VBAM is in a second. But it's called VBA and it's a free emulator for the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advanced, and handhelds, as well as Super Game Boy and, and Super Game Boy and Super Game Boy. Why did I write that twice? Who knows? Okie dokie. So looking at that, it is a project that was developed under an online alias. So nobody knew who the, who created this. I'll tell you who created it in just a second. So we'll get rid of the, uh, the all the mystery and intrigue. But the Game Boy uh, was created by a person who left development of the em emulator. And the project was handed over to a team named VBA Team. Interestingly enough, it was led by this person's brother. Okay, so the people who did this were Julie, Julian Henry Hitchcock and Michael Henry Watford. So, um, but they created, you know, this, this great emulator so that you can go back and play your old Game Boy games. Um, I do feel that at some point we'll probably hear about Nintendo uh, releasing an app with all of them and charging you like $19.99 or having like a monthly fee to go play all of those. So we may see that. But until then, we the VBA and VBA-M uh, features that you're going to love, uh, one is first, it runs on Linux, Mac, Windows, and you're going to really love this, GameCube, the Wii, and the Zune HD. So for everyone who bought a Zune that worked at Microsoft or thought that that was going to beat the iPod, you now have another reason to use your Zune. Okay, but the other cool thing about it is the VBA has compatibility for ROMs. It has joystick support. You can actually, uh, if you're creating or maybe you've ported a game over or you're very technical or want to become very technical, you have debugging tools that you can look at it, as well as logs and read those. It has auto fire support, which if you've ever played a game, instead of bam, 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 with your finger and getting that thumb. And you know, as we get over 50, we've got to start thinking a little bit about arthritis. I know I'm dealing with some of it from clicking the mouse too much. But the auto fire support is really, it's really cool, as well as a speed up key. 
so it makes the games faster. You can go to full screen. You can get a screen capture, which is really fun if you like to play games with friends and take a screen capture of it and then send it to your friend and be like, oh, look what I did. I beat you at X. Um, the awesome part about this, and I'm not going to go deep into what Game Shark was, but Game Shark was a way that you could put in cheat codes. Very cool stuff. And Code Breaker was also another way you could put cheat codes in there. And then Game Boy Linking. So you can play over your local area network or LAN and internet. So really important. Like I, like I just said before, when I started talking about this, if you really enjoyed your Game Boy, and I did, I still have mine. I've Every so often I'll pull it out and I live for playing a little bit of Tetris on it. I know that sounds horrible, but it was just something when you're sitting in an airport or you're sitting in your car and you're traveling at one point I was doing traveling a ton. It was just so much fun to sit back and stop and have lunch and play some Tetris or play some Mario. Uh, I had football. There was an adventure game on there. I didn't play Zelda on it. Um, but you know, it was one of those things, like I said, it's, I'm really surprised they have not released an iPhone or Android app. Maybe they have, I haven't seen um, Nintendo, I would love to work on that if you want, if you need someone from a product or program management to help you put it out there. I don't think it's going to hurt your hardware sales at all, um, but I think it would be super awesome for folks who remember the Game Boy, and now that phones are getting about the size of the Game Boy, to have that chance. All right, so let's move on to our next emulator. This one's called Stella. Stella! Okay, sorry. Um I could have been a champ. Sorry, I don't do um, Marlon Brando very well. I apologize. But Stella is an emulator of the Atari 2600. And I can't think of something that was probably, until PCs came along, more iconic than the Atari. When I was growing up, at least, or where I was growing up. Because when somebody had an Atari, the first kid who got an Atari became the most popular kid. And then they lost their popularity as more people got the Atari. It's kind of the... Uh, the object of having a swimming pool out there and hanging a swimming pool. But Stella is the ability to play on Windows, Mac, Linux. It was written in 96 by Bradford W. Mott, and it's now, it's still being maintained today. Um, it supports the 2600 cartridge bank scheme, so you could switch the peripheral devices. If you had the paddles, the video touchpad, um, they had the driving controllers. I didn't have any of those. I, I wanted the trackball, but covers that, as well as it covers the Sega Genesis controller, which is really interesting because I don't have one of those, but I'd like to see what it does. It doesn't support cassette-based items, which is a bummer because then you can't play some of your, you won't be able to pull in ColecoVision. However, the Stella does maintain the ability for you to write and build your own Atari games. So if you ever had wanted to create an Atari game, you can still do it and use Stella and its facilities, and obviously uh, you may need to learn how to program, and I think it's in C++, um, but it is kind of like a uh, the ability to bring you back um, to when you were a kid and even create that game you always wanted. It is donationware, so please, if you'd like to see more Stella and more Atari, please donate a few bucks. It's not five bucks, 10 bucks. It's real easy. They're not asking for a thousand, I can guarantee you. And amazing, this is the, the thing I took the most away from the Stella is the screenshots. It was just like having an Atari. And I know you can go buy one. I know you can go buy one, but you can download for five or $10 the Stella, put it on your PC and play it. So cool. 
All right, two more to go. The next one is something that I probably enjoyed the most because I had not played a PlayStation forever. But I went out and found a PlayStation emulator, and I'm going to talk about that one later. But I found one that is gone. But it was one of the best ones when it came out. So Bleem, and this is more of a history lesson for everybody, so Bleem, B-L-E-E-M, was the first commercial PlayStation emulator. Now, there are places on the internet, and I'll talk about them in a second, where you can go find things like Bleem. Um, archive.org. Go out and find it. But what was what's really awesome about Bleem is it was an emulator designed to play all the original PlayStation games or any of the Dreamcast games. And you could you could build it. And what was great is the two people who created it, uh, David, oh, sorry, David, I'm, this is going to be horrible. Herpelsheimer, I did try to practice that, so that's the best one yet, and Randy Linden um, brought it in the commercial phase with some other folks. Now, what's really kind of crazy is Sony went after Bleem, and Sony, you know, because they're big, kind of ran them out of business. But then they hired a few of the folks that were on the Bleem team, um, which is kind of cool. Randy Linden, apparently, I think as of 2005, he was working there. Um, but, you know, what's really awesome about the Bleem emulator, because it was a CD, is that you could get a CD, play the Sony games on your PC, which, you know, again, we're trying to go back in time. We're trying to find that. And I'm going to talk about you know, going back and playing and seeing things. But really, Bleem just got ran out. And I wanted to bring that up, not because I don't like Sony. I love Sony. They make some great games, but it was going out and looking at the archive.org and some other things. It would be so much more fun to have some of these emulators for like the original PlayStation. All right. So I'm going to go into last one here is the Apple Win. So this is an Apple IIe emulator for Windows. So anybody who had an Apple IIe in their school system, and maybe you got to play... Um, I don't know, like say Hangman was one of those games, or you had to write a program, or you may have played the old classic Oregon Trail, right? Good old Oregon Trail. Love Oregon Trail or Lone Runner. So many good games. But the Apple Win is an emulator that you, it's, and it's still getting updates um, that was written by Mike O'Brien in 1994. Now, again, 94, but Remember, the Apple, the 2E was came out in 77, 78. So, you know, we, nobody was, nobody had one that ran. I have one sitting behind me that I can boot up, but to get those old DOS disks going, I have to kind of, you know, work the magic of static electricity on some of the disks sometimes to get them to go, and it's probably going to kill the disks over time. Um, but the Apple Win will run like an Apple II Plus or Apple IIe, and it runs the software. It can emulate all the things that came with it, like the joystick, which is awesome. Um, if you're playing Choplifter, another great game. And trust me, you're going to be really excited because I'm going to tell you how to go find all these games. If you don't want to load, just learn how to use emulators. I'm going to show you something at the very end. And then I'm going to talk about another, another in a future podcast, probably 10 or 15 down the road. But it's, it's an ability to run things on your Apple computer. And so what I'm trying to do right now is I've actually been trying to boot up over the weekend my old game that I wrote. So I wrote an if-then go-to go-sub game. And I'd love to figure out how to print it out or print it out or copy it or move it somehow. I don't think there's a good way to do this other than just hand copying it or something. I'll figure this all out. But to get that into something like Apple Win, so I could go and show my kids games that I played. Um, I introduced my kids to Oregon Trail 
couple of them knew about it. I'll introduce it to the younger guys. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever. The other cool thing about Apple Win is it supports what we used to call nibble copiers or nibblers. And so a nibble copy was when you were allowed to make a copy of a disc. Now, they sometimes had the, you know, the protected thing. So you got a hole punch and poof, got that all taken care of. Now, if you've wanted to go play Oregon Trail or show your kids Oregon Trail or talk about pick a game, seriously, pick one. If you had a favorite, favorite game, um, the original stick figure Castle Wolfenstein, which was near impossible playing because you had to use keys on one side of the keyboard and keys on the other side of the keyboard. You can play all these out on archive.org. So go ahead and type out like Apple Win and archive.org or Oregon Trail and archive.org. And you will be sucked into probably one of the most interesting websites I've been on in years. And I've been on this before, but before I just kind of went out and was like, oh, I just want to go play Load Runner. I just want to play a game of Load Runner again and just, you know, Re rejoin my childhood. Instead, this time, after I'd gone and looked at some of the Apple games, I went out to look and see what they actually have. And it is crazy because it has the emulators built in for the Apple games, but there's live music. So for my friend, Eric, who's a giant fish fan and he's loved fish and he's much younger than me. I reached out to him and said, dude, you got to go check out archive.org and type in fish and you're going to get all these concerts then before you're a fish fan, like when you're in grade school. Um, they have the Amer pick an American, a European, an Indian, and a Canadian, so India, Indian, Canadian library. So if you've ever wanted to go to the library of Nova Scotia, boom, archive.org. They have an internet arcade of like, like the main games that we talked about before with the emulator built in software. My mother loved print shop. In fact, I called her up. I'm like, oh, I found your old print shop. You can finally run it again, which I'd, I would have to probably figure out how to get it to work for her. But the print shop out there, the software that was available, they have old school public domain feature films. The coolest thing. Okay. So maybe this is going to be me being a giant nerd. The coolest thing for me was I could go out and read patents. So they have a huge amount of, of patent knowledge and, and information. And then finally, the absolute coolest thing is the Wayback Machine. Now I know if you know, you're thinking, hmm, the Wayback Machine, I remember that. Wasn't that a little dog and his friend Sherman? Yes, um, if you can remember that little dog, tweet it out to me, we'll see who it is. Um, and I do know who it is. But, uh, and they've made fun of it on The Simpsons too. But if you go out to the Wayback Machine and put in an internet site, so put in a site like I put in amazon.com. I was just curious because I was like, okay, let's see. And I went back 10 years and looked at what Amazon used to look like Microsoft.com. I started, then I went out and I'm like, oh, that's right. My friend Randy had a website back in 98. And it was like the biggest thing because he was having so much fun with it. And it almost got me in the programming HTML. But I went out and checked his site out. They have images, not the full site, but they have a screenshot. So if you've ever wondered, is let's say you're not over 40 uh, or over 50, sorry, if you're not over 50, but let's say you're, you know, 30 and you want to go see what your high school website looked the day you graduated. And maybe they had like, you know, everybody's pictures out there. Go take a look at the Wayback Machine. Type in that web link that you're looking for and it'll give you dates go back to that date and take a look at it okay 
So easily one of the coolest sites. Now on archive.org, I played not in this list, but Joust, Oregon Trail, Doom, Paperboy, Tapper, we talked about Print Shop. Um, what was so awesome was you could start it. So instead of loading the emulators, and I'm not telling you to not use MAME, MAME's awesome. And MAME's great because I can, like I have a MAME cabinet or my Atari. I don't think there were very many Atari games out there. So you can definitely go, uh, you know, work on Stella, but you can go out and you can set up all of those emulators or you can just play something immediately. And it's just a lot of fun. Archive.org. And they ask for donations too. It is worth every nickel you donate to them. All right. I want to talk about again, what probably has slowed down a lot of emulators. Why we don't hear a lot about them anymore is a lot of the emulators were, I guess, legally challenged by the big companies, right? You know, Sony, Nintendo, Sega, were like, hey, wait a second, we're losing our intellectual property and we don't want to be like, you know, Apple and Microsoft losing their stuff. We want our, you know, our stuff, we want our money. Um, there, you know, there's definitely, all these things are infinitely more fun than like going out and setting up your old hard drive like you are on Windows 7 or, or Windows 95. But what, happened was I think like Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft have figured out that people want to play the original games and are not going to charge you a premium. And I can guarantee you Nintendo right now, you sign up for their online games and you get like NES, Super NES games, uh, Sony system, Microsoft system probably has like the early Xbox stuff. It's better business for them to have a service and sell you it than not. So I don't think that they just grew out. I think services have just kind of enveloped and said, hey, let's all go play it. All right, so that was emulators. We're gonna talk more about emulators, but I am gonna step a little bit into each one of those systems a little bit too. So uh, next podcast will be on Atari because we all wanna go back in history and I'll try not to reference ET too many times. So thank you, glad to be back and I look forward to seeing another podcast out very soon.